0: When Evelyn was five months old, I went on a two-week backpacking trip through Europe. Um, some of you have been around long enough to maybe remember uh, Jesse Woodall. Um, he and I tag team teaching Youth Call, the very first year of Youth Call, um, that discipleship school. Um, we tag-teamed the Bible college classes. And... Um, He, he took, so he had to go defend his master's thesis in uh, Vita, Hungary, right outside of Budapest. It's, it was like a, it was like a old vineyard estate that Calvary Chapel had a Bible college at. I think they've sold it since. But, um, so he had to go defend his thesis there and he invited me to go with him. And, um, and the fun thing was like no we're not we 're not packing a suitcase. we are packing a backpack, and everything we need for those two whole weeks was going to be on our backs um, and Man, packing for a trip like this like i 've got to fit all of this in and carry it everywhere I go. It really made you think through what you were doing um, so uh, you 've got to think really carefully, do I need this? do I not need this? How many pairs of jeans is really necessary? How many undergarments are really, like, can you maybe turn some inside out until you get to wash them? Like, you like, you got to be smart, right? Because it's all weight and space. Uh, how do you pack a pillow? How do you pack a sh- A shower towel takes up half a backpack. What do you do, right? So you get really creative and you got to really think through how you're going to pack for this trip. Um, one of the most important things, whether you're going for a one-night trip or a two-week backpacking trip, uh, you have to... Consider the itinerary of your travel plans because you need to know some things ahead of time. You need to know, for example, the duration of your trip. Do I need five outfits or do I just need one? Um, You need to know the means of your travel. Are you flying? You better pack some snacks. Or are you hiking? Uh, You better wear better shoes than sandals. Um, What's the weather like? Uh, Do you need a jacket? Do you need sandals? Um, do you need a plan for rain? Do you need a raincoat in that backpack? Um, what kind of activities are you going to do? Are you presenting something? You might need to pack a suit. Um, are you, or your high heels. Um, or are you going to the beach to relax? Then you might want sandals. Um, what are your accommodations? Are you at a hotel? If breakfast can be provided, sheets are ready or are you going to be places where sheets are not provided and you got to provide that or you're going to be in a tent? Uh, these are all things that you must consider. Um like for Jesse and I, like we knew we would be staying in hostels and walking a lot. Um so, we had to provide our own pillows and sheets cuz hostels don't do that. Um so it's like you're really creative packing. Um Well, in Matthew 10, what Jesus is doing is he's actually giving a travel itinerary to his disciples. Like when you go on mission, this is what to expect. And so this is how you can prepare. This is how you can pack your bag. So uh, what are we to pack for? That's what we're going to look at. So there are three sections to this. Um, When we go on mission, um, we should pack first. I'll give you the three of them now. First, we want to pack light for travel. That's going to be verses 5 through 15. We need to pack light for travel. By the way, each of these sections ends with Jesus saying, Amen, or truly I say to you. So you'll notice that in verse 15. Truly I say to you. Um, that, That means the next section starts in verse 16. Verse 16, we see that we need to pack ready for trouble. There will be some hard times on your mission. So 16 through 23 is pack ready for trouble. And then verse 24 to the end of the chapter is the third, and that's pack assured with trust. Pack assured with trust. Like, you can go confidently because God is trustworthy. So let's look at the first. We want to pack light for travel. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So his first command is where they should... Well, first is it's to go. Go. It, mission begins when we are willing to go out of our comfort zone and out of our everyday self-oriented lives and go to others. Go. But then, interestingly, he, he doesn't ask them to go conquer the world. He doesn't say go to everybody you run into. There is a negative and a positive command. Go not or nowhere among the Gentiles, nor the Samaritans. They are not on your radar right now. I'm sending you to the house of Israel. And lost there, by the way, does not mean they don't know their way forward. It actually refers more to perishing, the perishing house of Israel. So for us, now, notice that um, verse 5 began with, These twelve Jesus sent out. Um, That means these 12 were given this specific mission to the house of Israel. But this 12 over here might be given a different set of people, right? So there are some basic commands that we can draw from, but some of the specifics are going to be what our father is sending us specifically to go do. And so we need to understand that you are not commanded to save every living soul around you. There are some people you are able to reach and there's some that will not be reachable. Um, Not everyone is going to be on your radar. So Jesus uh, will put a specific people on our hearts. Um, Verse seven, what are they to do? They are to proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John the forerunner preached. That's what Jesus preached. And that's now what we are to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand Um, it's here and what that means is it no undoubtedly uh, the sermon on the mount would be part of their message if the kingdom of heaven is here these are some of the things that we should do this is how we should respond Uh, the sermon on the mount has plenty of ways of living in the kingdom of heaven beginning with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Um, so first they 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 herald the kingdom of heaven And then second, they heal in verse 8. They heal the sick, they raise the dead, they cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Um, I love this. Jesus doesn't ask them to go target the popular people, the influential people, the powerful. He asks them to go target the people in need. These are the people we are sent to. Now, because Jesus has more of a grassroots kind of a way of establishing his kingdom it's not top down it's bottom up it's go to the people give them the love of God shape their lives and give them direction and structure as Christ teaches us how to now live and from there people get infected I love how Lewis calls it the good infection um, and and so we one at a time people are in our and that starts to boil up Um, Christianity did not target the emperor. They targeted the needy. And then there were so many needy who became Christians that the emperor was forced to recognize that there is a huge movement in my empire. And then Constantine lets Christianity flourish. Um, this This is how Jesus wants us to work. So we don't always target the popular or the powerful or the wealthy. We target those that can't really do much on their own or for us. Now, Yeah, of course, we look at this list and it's daunting. Heal the sick. I mean, chiropractors can do that, but um, raise the dead. Um, Jesus can do that. Cleanse lepers, cast out demons. We don't know to what degree the disciples actually do this. Although we do see in in Acts, Peter raises someone from the dead. And so we're left to wonder, like, to what degree are we supposed to fulfill that? Because I sure don't know how to do that. Um and so there's there's the uh possibility that on one hand what Jesus is saying is um yeah there's going to be sort of like um if you drop a pebble into a pond the ripples at the center will be much bigger than the ripples as they move outward right as the power of that impact spreads the power of the impact diminishes and um, some people like to think of spiritual gifts like healing, um, kind of like that, that there was an immense power poured out upon those that were right there with Christ. But as the generations go on, there's a little less and less. Um, or um, there's the other way of looking at that, like those who are truly pure and holy and live really close in communion with Jesus have um, certain abilities that others don't have who just kind of live in their own world and just acknowledge God every now and then. Um, there are many t- accounts of very um, quiet lives that live very holy and God did tremendous things to them. So we don't really know how that works, but we just know that God says it can happen and we have to be open to it. We can't dismiss it. We, we in fact, Paul tells us to to strive for spiritual gifts. That These are things that we should want um, but it's not to make ourselves powerful, as he will explain in a minute. I do think John Chrysostom had a really um, interesting thing to say about this. He said, If you change from inhumanity to almsgiving, you have stretched forth the hand that was withered. If you withdraw from the theaters and go to the church, you have cured the lame foot. If you draw back your eyes from a harlot and from beauty not your own, you have opened them when they were blind. If instead of satanical songs, you have learned spiritual songs, being dumb, you have spoken. These are the greatest miracles. These, the wonderful signs. So at the end of the day, we can do that. We can heal ourselves and we can heal those around us by bringing them to Jesus. There's a lot of healing that happens in the work of the church just by bringing people along the ride of following Jesus. So heralding and healing. Um, Now verse 9. Acquire no gold. This is where he literally says travel light. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So what he's saying there is travel light. Really think through what you're going to need for this journey because I will provide for you. The laborer will receive his food. But you are not to go out and serve as a means of accumulating gold and copper and silver for yourselves. Because if you do something for hire, it delegitimizes your your message, what they're out there to tell the people. They're doing this as a service. Well, now this looks genuine. And and what Jesus does not say, he does not say you will not be supported for what you do. You will be. But what you don't do, the church should not be in the business of profit making. The church should be in the business of serving and receiving what it takes to sustain itself. Don't let me rant. Please protect me. Okay. So, um... So really think through what you need, like the way I would have to pack my backpack, right? Like, do I really need, I don't, do I really need a book, a physical book when I could have a Kindle? Maybe, I don't know, bad example perhaps, but yeah. Um, but think about this in your own life because we want minimal possessions because minimal possessions increase our missional power, Minimal possessions increase our missional power. Uh, The less that we are tied to our own stuff and our own selves and burdened with a lot of responsibilities, the more available we are for other people. Um, It's amazing what happens when you don't have to maintain 15 cars, how available you are to other people. The exaggeration, I think, makes a point, though. Um, So verse 11, now we are being prepared. Um, He's going to tell us that while we are small in possessions, we have peace. That's what we carry with us is peace. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. So you're not going to go house hopping, dabbling among the best of the homes, right? There's going to be one home, you're going to stay with these people. Um, That can zero in for us like Focus on a relationship. Sometimes we can dabble too much with, oh, this one's working better and this person's easier to work with. And sometimes God is asking us to hone in on one place and stay put, be there with them. And the disciples are to stay with this one house. Um, it's amazing what will happen, by the way, if we just really give a lot of our love and and leadership to a single person or group of people, how much that. You can give quality change to that person or group and then that influences people around them indirectly. Like you are indirectly influencing others because you're doing a good job with one person or one simple task. Sometimes we just need to be more committed to one than trying to dabble in it all. Mm -hmm. Um, So so go and stay there um, until you depart. Verse 12, as you enter the house, greet it. Now, greet it does not just mean, hi, house. (laughs) There's a full-on bigger thing going on here. All the commentators I read um, from all camps of Christianity were saying that this this is not like a hello. This is more like a benediction. Give a benediction. Give a blessing to the house. There's something that they are extending the presence of Christ through their entering the house. That's what's going on. And you'll see that drawn out as Jesus continues to talk here. So verse 13, if the house is worthy let your peace come upon it. So that's part of the greeting as you're giving your peace to the house. Um, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So the peace here, shalom would be the Hebrew concept of peace. We often think of peace as like I have peace, which means I have a calm disposition of soul. Things are going well. I'm not too perturbed about things. Um, but actually biblical peace refers, to, yeah, it includes that, but it refers to a wholeness of all things, that things are complete. Things aren't broken. There's healing happening. And according to Bruner, um, he said, I never heard this, but he said that um, Shalom was one of the names used for God in place of Yahweh. Shalom could sometimes refer to God himself. So if you are to come into the house and give your peace, you're to give your shalom. And that's where they were saying, the commentators are saying that this is more of a benediction. You are to bestow the peace of the Lord Christ upon this people and upon this place. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we forget that the Christian carries this wherever they go. That we have the ability to extend the presence and peace of Christ where we go. That when we, ble- we can bless someone, we can bless someone. Like we are the priesthood of Christ. We can bless them. We can bless a place. We can go into dark, like a place that doesn't feel like it's blessed and we can in our prayers as we wander, as we hug people, like we could be just emanating the shalom and the peace of Christ where we go. That's what we carry wherever we go. Don't worry or fuss so much about the stuff or even about the the gifts that we have, but fuss more about who is within you and that is the source of power that we want to share. So you go to this house. We are in this relationship. We're focused on these people. Let the peace of Christ be that which is given to them. This is what changes lives. But you're not always going to be welcomed. And that's, you're not to take that personally. They don't dislike you. They dislike the one in you, Christ. So verse 14 tells us, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So the Jews would actually, when they left a Gentile land and came into the Holy land, they would shake the Gentile land off their feet. They would have a ritual; They shake that off because we don't want to bring that into the Holy land. We don't want to defile it. So (laughs) Jesus may be picking up on that. Um, the way that I think we most um, relate to this is uh, when someone says something rude to you or they don't like you or they attack you for being nice to them, um, shake it off. Don't let that stick to you. Don't let that cling to you. You you need to travel light for this journey. So shake it off. Don't carry that baggage of bitterness and woe is me and, oh, no one loves me or Jesus. Shake it off. Hey. hey. Right, Avelyn? What does Taylor Swift say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Haters gonna hate. Shake it off. So that's, seriously, like, if Taylor Swift said anything right, that's, that's right there. <laughs> yeah. Jesus said it right here. Haters might hate. Christ in you. Just shake it off. And move on. As he will say later, there's lots more harvest to work on. Let them be the way they are. So that's traveling lights. Um now we come to n- number two, pack ready for trouble, pack ready for trouble. Verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep. What? I want to be like a gladiator. Mm-hmm. I want it to be like, like a Lord of power. Christ gave me his ring of power. And now like mm-hmm. I have authority. Like I wanted to go out as the one who pulled the sword out of the stone. I want to go as a cre- a crusader. He sends us a sheep. Sorry. (laughs) We're sheep in the midst of wolves. So this is why we need to pack ready for trouble. We're in hostile ground. By the waters of Babylon there we wept. We were taunted. Sing us one of your God songs. Edom, the part of that psalm, Psalm 137. Edom was mocking Jerusalem as it was torn down by the Babylonians. That's why it says repay Edom. Um, This is... This is sheep among wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Um, Serpents here is not having any allusion to the devil, okay? He's just, serpents are cunning and crafty. So what he's doing is he's saying be smart sheep, not dumb sheep. Smart sheep that are gentle like doves. That's, that's what we're going for. So we're not violent. We're not oppressive. We're not manipulative. We aren't shoving things down people's throats. We are bringing our peace. And when people reject it, Christ says, let the peace return to you. Shake it off and go on. Um, so we need to be aware of this. So I love, too, just the way this is ordered. It's um, um, be wise, be innocent, and Beware. In verse 17, beware of men. Don't trust them. Beware. He's going to explain more in detail as we go, but they hated me, they'll hate you. Beware of men. Um, This all sounds intimidating, but in verse 16, Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you out. I am sending you. And actually, the Greek literally, I know we talked about this in a message a while ago, but the Greek literally um, doubles. The, the I is redundant because it's in the verbal form and it's in the pronoun. And so it's, it's I, I am sending you or another way to translate that is I myself am sending you. So don't forget who you're sent by. Okay, I am sending you. So you know that things will be all right. So in verse 17, beware of men. Why? For they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues and drag you, or you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now, um, here at this section, uh, from this point on to the end of this sermon Jesus gives, most, um, of every commentator I read said that what Jesus or what Matthew's doing here is he's now compiling a lot of Jesus's other things from his lifetime and putting them at the tail end of the sermon of going to the the towns in Jerusalem. Um, so what Matthew's doing then is he's taking all of what Jesus said about persecution and enduring hardship and serving him because he's not just giving us a historical account of what he said to the 12. He's talking to the church in these instructions. So everything Jesus said about this, here it all is, church, because Matthew's more concerned with teaching than with a play-by-play of every day of Jesus's life. So you might notice as we read, a lot of this is going to sometimes feel like one-off statements, because Matthew's just compiling it all together. And we, I'm saying this also because we need to understand that Matthew is not just talking to Jews. He is talking to the church. This is not just about those 12. This is also about those that have been commissioned by the 12 to be extensions of the 12. So, um, so be careful. Like, you will be dragged into courts when they deliver you over, verse 19. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. I love that. It's going to be hard, but don't worry. Don't think you need clever words in the moment. You will have the words. And man, if you read some of the stories of saints who are martyred, the words they're given in that moment are just stunning. It's just the courage and the sass. Sometimes And and the sass is, you know, not, don't go emulate that. It comes from the spirit in the moment to show the tormentors that we fear not death. This is a joke to us because Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. And that's the attitude that Christians should have in this. So be ready for trouble. Verse 20, for it is not you who speak. Oh, I read that. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and father, his child and child will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So we see this happening even today. Um, Richard was, was telling us last week how, um, when, uh, when Muslims come to Christ, they are completely rejected and disowned by their community and their family. And this not only happened then it still happens. Um, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Keep going. Don't worry about their hatred. You got to be pack ready for trouble. If you're ready for trouble, you won't complain when it comes. Like, I'm ready for this. I was ready for this. I knew this was coming. Verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Like, what? Like, whose strategy is that? When you struggle here, just give up and go, go somewhere else. Like, we're all about tenacity and grit and stick with it and commitment and prove those mockers wrong. You will win this town for Christ. Jesus' attitude is more of surrender. You know what? That's their attitude. Move on. Because in Jesus' grand scheme of history, he sees it all. There's so much work to do. Don't get caught up in personal success plans. The world is bigger than you accept the failure. It's not you. It's them hating Christ and go serve someone else. Um, you, you will experience this. You will experience helping somebody in need. And at some point, not everyone's going to love that you help them in need. They will, it might be years down the road, but they will turn on you and hate you because you didn't do what Jesus alone could do for them. They will say mean things about you. They will call you wicked People you least expect it from, too. Jesus' command there is, if you take that personally, you're going to feel like you have to conquer them. Be a sheep. When you see the wolf, let's move on. The disciples do this. The apostles do this. In Acts, when, when the persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, they don't sit there and say, let's hold hands and die here, guys. No, they realize there's a big world. They leave Jerusalem, and that's how the gospel gets to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth is the, the persecution that causes them to flee. So we need to understand that Jesus sees us not as lions or wolves but as sheep, not as those who have grit in the face of no matter what, but those who can count their losses and say, okay, God has more for me to do here. That's not to say give up when everything's are hard. It's to use the discernment on when people have given. They've told you no to Jesus. Okay, well, great. You got 10,000 other people in your lives that need Jesus. So work on them. So flee uh, to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So concluding this section is the amen, or the truly I say to you. You won't cover all the towns of Israel till the Son of Man returns. What? Okay, so... um. Bruner, whose commentary I love, I think he misses this. He's like, okay, this refers either to the resurrection um, or it refers to the coming of the spirit or it refers to the judgment in AD 70 against Jerusalem or it refers to uh, the second coming of Christ. Like, like Israel will not be reached until these things happen. Um, what he's probably referring to as son of man is a phrase that comes from Daniel 7. The son of man will come in glory, and he'll be the judge of things. Um, Daniel 7 uh, is referring to Jesus' ascension. We we covered that a long time ago, if you want to go back. It was a really hard sermon to give Daniel 7. So many contentious views on it. But um, it seems clear to me that that is the ascension of Jesus to the throne, and that's what he's referring to. Like, when I go up to heaven... Israel's not going to be completely reached. In other words, what we see here is there's so many people to reach. Keep moving. In rejection, just keep moving. So I don't want to get too caught up on the theological fine points of that because it doesn't seem like Jesus' point is to make a theological point. It's to be a practical point. Mm -hmm. Keep moving. Uh, So verse 24, we come to the third and final part. Um, Pack assured with trust. So pack light for travel. Pack ready for, tr- I'm sorry, pack light for travel, pack ready for trouble, and pack assured with trust in God. You can be assured with trust in God. So after you hear all that, you're like, wait, but we can pack with confidence. God tells us it will be okay. So, verse 24 like, like master, like disciple. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, which Jesus is literally making us like him, and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, that's the lord of the demons, how much more will they malign those of his household? Yeah, so expect it. They called him the prince of the demons? What are they going to call you? Um, But the comfort here too is that he also called us part of his household. That's rad. If you, get, if you get that dished out to you, know that people recognize you belong to the house of the Lord. So there's some confidence. Verse 28. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that is not known. So that refers to the judgment. It's actually quite phenomenal how much of our text and I just refers to the last judgment. Um, But that refers to the last judgment. Um, Don't be afraid, like, their deeds will be shown and your deeds will be shown. Like, people will see in the end truly who's right and who's wrong. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So Jesus is saying, "Don't, don't withhold things I've taught you. Teach others these things, even if you know they won't like it. Even if you think they're going to reject it, if I taught you, you need to teach them. What I told you in secret, tell them in public, in silence, in, light, or in darkness, and in light. Um, so, I, you know, one can think of like the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he's taught them so far. Um, yeah, how much the church does not like things in the Sermon on the Mount. So should we just kind of skip it? Should we not deal with it? No, we got, we, we got to teach the full counsel of God. And, um, yeah, just, just, if you ever go to another church, um, make sure you go somewhere that's not afraid of teaching all of God's word. For goodness sake, I suffered through the minor prophets. That was what I was teaching when, when pastor Mike transitioned the church, that's where we were. That was the hardest set of books to establish being the leader of the church and i was burnt out of those minor prophets like they was hard to teach and um i'm just being completely honest it's like the least known part of the bible and it's like it was hard but we we did it because it's in scripture we were on a mission to complete the old testament for the second time in our church's history by the way so that was cool um that was hard but it's cool the whole council, all of it. We don't shy from the hard things or from the weird things. We prayed Psalm 137 for crying out loud, so yeah, that's what Jesus wants us to do. Teach him everything. Um, and then in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them (coughs) will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. If we don't fear God, we're going to fear everyone and everything. That's that's what he's calling us here too. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. And by the way, when you fear him, you're not in dread of him. He counts your hairs. There's not a sparrow that falls without him going down with it. It's almost how some people think it reads. It doesn't just fall without him watching it. It doesn't fall apart from him being with it. Like he's there to lay the sparrow down. How much more for us, those he's calling to his likeness, made in his image. So we fear God. We we have respect for his rules, for his commandments, for his judgments. And we tremble that he is the judge. But in the midst of all that, it keeps us on his way. It keeps us in his love. Um, so don't fear others is his point. So do not think in verse 34 that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. You know, he's not saying I came to make people hate each other. He's saying that my coming will cause division among people who cannot agree on me. It's just the nature of it. When the author of life comes to the life that has chosen death instead of life, there's going to be a mixed reaction. Some are going to want to kill him because they've chosen the way of death and some are going to come to him for life because they recognize that we've lost our life and we want it back. That's what's going to happen. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what he's saying there is if you are afraid of tension in families or other relationships because of your faith in Jesus and you love keeping the relationship happy over following Jesus, this is what he's saying. That. That's a problem. Discipleship does not put relationships over Christ. It puts Christ over relationships, even in conflict. That's what has to happen. That's what he's calling to. So that, in other words, discipleship is... Total devotion to Christ, even when it costs. Now, now, that's obviously not to say just whatever, let it go. But we want to make efforts to make peace. But you can't control whether or not that happens. That is equally on them. So, if they hate you for your faith, you shake it off. Jesus warned us that there will be tensions in following him. But we trust him, so we have assurance. We pack our bag with assurance because... He's telling us to trust him. Um, so taking up your cross in, in this context, that's what he's referring to is sometimes you're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. That's a cross to bear. But Jesus asked us to carry the cross. Um, in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me, the father. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. That means you're not just receiving people like, oh, you're cool. No, you're receiving them for who they are. They're God's people and you're receiving them at risk. So your hospitality to them, your kindness to them, will God sees you as participating in their work. So you get their reward. So there's a little level of risk that he's portraying here. He continues, verse 42, Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cold cup of water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So sometimes we are the ones people stick their necks out for. Sometimes we're sticking our necks out for others. Um. But the point is, is that receiving God's children, receiving other Christians, is receiving Christ. Receiving Christ is receiving the Father. And there's an element to where this happens every single week. We receive each other. And in doing so, when we greet one another, I think, by the way, greeting is not just a little break in the service, although that's needed. Because people use the restroom all the time, and you know, that's needed. But greeting is literally an act of worship. It's, and that's why we say things like, the peace of Christ is among us, or Christ is among us, greet one another, or the light of Christ is upon us, we've been saying right now because of, of Epiphany. Um, the light of Christ is upon us, greet one another, because when we say hi, and we take the time to care about one another and learn each other's names, that greeting is like the household greeting. It's like we're exchanging peace. There's something exchanged and shared. The family is being received. And in receiving each other, we're also, we should be, that is one step towards receiving each other's work. Helping each other in their missions being part of the mission together whether you're side by side with them or simply praying for them or asking them how their mission is going that's part of receiving one another and every sunday therefore we receive christ through one another we receive the father by receiving each other and thus receiving christ that's what christian community is that's what worship is and jesus will say things like this later where two or more gathered there i am in their midst um That's what we're doing. Uh, So there's a sense in which faithful Christian worship of Christ the Word, faithful Christian worship, like we're doing, of Christ the Word is faithful Christian witness of Christ to the world. When we do this faithfully, we witness there faithfully. It's really hard to do the witnessing without the worshiping yeah. it 's really hard to do it well at least it 's really hard to to have the peace of Christ to impart to others if we 're lone rangers if 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 we 're just constantly being fed the way we want to be fed and with our own devotional lives like we need those, but if that 's all we have we 're not receiving one another. And we're not creating a worship experience that enhances our witness experience. Um, I, I want to just kind of elaborate on that concept a little bit as we as our finish. Um, I want us to think about the church as a hostel. Now, hostels. I'm not saying hostile, like be hostile toward one another. I'm saying hostile. It's 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 not really common in America, but in Europe. This is what Jesse and I stayed in. We stayed in hostels. They're, they're little, like, shabby places to spend the night very affordably because they don't do anything but provide a roof for you, basically. There, there's, there might be little cots, but, like, generally you've got to bring the sheets and the pillow and all that stuff. And there's a toilet, right? right? There's, there's sometimes a shower. Um, but that's why they're so inexpensive because usually it's kind of like camp. If you've ever gone to like Christian camp, um, and I mean like as a youth, because they don't do this adults, but where they throw like twenty kids in one room like this size, smaller usually, and you all got to share a couple toilets and a couple showers, like you know that that's kind of like what a hostel is, except the Christian element is definitely not there. Um, um, but the church is kind of like a hostel, and what I mean by that is that a hostel is not meant for a long stay; it's meant to be I am traveling. It's, it was they were created for travelers. So that we're traveling we're going to stay one night and move on we just need a place to rest um so you don't you don't set up shop in the hostel like people could steal your stuff right you don't have a place like a desk to make your little knickknacks and hang a picture of your wife or your husband like you don't have that stuff you just set up camp to sleep because you intend to get up first thing in the morning and move on with the travel the church should be seen as a hostel it's not a place for people to come and set up their lives, and this is, we're never leaving this place. Now, I do believe in church faithfulness and being in the church all our lives, but I mean that we don't look at this as our destination. The church is a weekly hostel for us to get nourished, for us to put our head on the pillow, to receive strength from Christ in worship so that we can continue our witness journey, our witness mission. The point of coming to church is to get out of church. The point of coming here to be comforted is to go and be commissioned. The point of coming here to worship is to be made witnesses. That's the purpose of gathering. And as some of you guys know, like, um, I, I, since I got into studying what liturgy is, it's been so enriching. Why I couldn't help but bringing it to our church because all good liturgies end with what's called either a dismissal or a benediction. We generally call it the benediction, um, but what it is, is a good liturgy doesn't just end with like, uh, we end with a worship song and boom, go. Um, or the sermon's over, go. It ends with a now what? We have worshiped Christ together. We've received one another. Now what? The dismissal sends you. The benediction says in the strength and peace of God, Go. We, we do this usually with, we change it every now and then, but usually with the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. We've received your peace. We are about to leave. Let us take this with us. Um, there's also the literal benediction. The, usually we use the Aaronic benediction in Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. What are we doing? We are granting God's presence with us so that we go and take that. That's what we're doing. There's, there's a certain, there's a purpose. Um, and so all good liturgies do that. We're not unique to that. Um, what we will be doing um, in Lent, as you guys probably remember, is occasionally we'll switch to the other benediction. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. That's the church as a hostel. Come back, yes, but please get out. Go in the peace of Christ wherever he sends you. And may he guide you through those hard times as you serve in our mission to others. But please come back into the doors. And we don't just come back like, well, I mean, it's church. We do it again. Or or I can't wait to be fed from Pastor Brandon. I love that we're Matthew, not in the Minor Prophets. Great. Yeah, this is a place to be nourished. You need that for your journey. You need to be nourished. But the whole point of coming to church isn't to be nourished. The point is to be nourished so that we can go back out. So get out of here. May the peace of Christ go with you and be a mission to them. Yeah. um there's also the concept that the reason we receive communion we receive the body of christ because it makes us the body of christ so we then go be the body of christ to others we get to eat it but then we be it to other people so that perhaps they get to also worship and eat as well um so yeah i just keep ranting but that's enough um it's a hostel not a prolonged stay it's a visit our mission is the lost sheep that god sends us to Um, I actually, uh, part of just studying is fun sometimes and frustrating because you don't always have time for this, but like you go on these rabbit trails and you're like, Ooh, this is cool. And like, it's more and more study. You know, I found out, um, um, that, um, the, the word mass, you know, the Catholic church uses mass to refer to a Sunday gathering. Um, mass actually came from the Latin word for dismissal. That's what it came from. So they literally started naming their church worship based upon the moment when the, when the priest says, go, go and serve. And so that, like, that's what they started to call it after. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally like, there was this viewpoint of, um, we go to church to be dismissed. That's why we're here. We're here to be dismissed. Now Maybe they were excited to be dismissed, and that was the point. Like, we can't wait for the dismissal um, because we're so bored. Um, sometimes that's the sense I get if I ever visit a Catholic church. Um, but ma- more hopefully, the, the, it's more like, we're so stoked with Christ right now, we cannot wait to go and bring this wherever we go. Like, that's what we hope it means. Um, that it was just an interesting tidbit. Um, but every... Every good liturgy, whether it be Catholic or some other or the one we create or, you know, the ancient ones, like they all have that component and we need to realize that that's important. So we receive one another because we get used to the fact of receiving others in our lives. We receive one another so that we can then encourage and push each other out. This is the movement of the church. It's like a heart muscle. A church's heart is healthy when people are coming in and when they're being pumped out and they're being drawn in and pumped out. We must keep this rhythm. But, of course, I'm I'm preaching the choir now because you're the faithful ones who come when it's icy and Super Bowl Sunday. Um, But um, the the part about going out and being on mission, that we sometimes have to be pushed into because it's not comfortable. This is comfortable. And it it is that way by design because we need to be nourished, but we have to go. And so... um, I hope you never hear our benedictions the same way again. And um, that, yes, linger in fellowship, please. But eventually get out those doors. And (laughs) one last thought. Um, um, If I ever have a church building that, like, I own and enough resources to beautify it the way I want to, you know what I want to do? I would want to put on the exit doors um, where you're going out um, a, a painting of The Last Judgment. Um, over the top of the door, you'd have Christ on his throne. And then on the left, you'd have the sheep, a, a portrayal of the righteous. And on the right, you'd have the, the goats or whichever it was. I think it was the other way. And the, yes, I think it's the other way. The goats on the left. But either way, you portray the, the, the parable there. Um, to remind us that we are leaving beneath the judgment of Christ. Like we're going out and we need to remember that somewhere he's hungry. Somewhere he's in need. We don't want to go out as goats. We want to go out as sheep. He's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is our mission. So um, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he sends you. Mm -hmm. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. And may he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen.